Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Last Call for Alcohol. This is our mini-series called Last Call. Once a month, we will go to each date and talk about a death row case. If they no longer have the death penalty, then we will talk about a past death row inmate who has been killed I'm sorry, you, I was so distracted. I was like, welcome back to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. Today is a last call episode in Arizona. Our last last call was in Alaska, which no longer has the death penalty. Arizona does, though. Shannon, want to take a stab at how many are on death row in Arizona currently? I'm going to guess 25. There are currently 112 on death row in Arizona. Today, we are going to talk about Alan Champagne. Oh my gosh. So, who is Alan Champagne? Why is he on death row? And also, oh my gosh, this name is so fitting. I'd be lying if I said I didn't pick him by his name. Champagne and mimosas just go together. But let's talk about Alan Champagne. Alan was born in 1969 and grew up with his mother, father, and his older brother, Larry, in Phoenix, Arizona. So, Alan's third grade teacher referred to him as, quote, a little guy with a big personality. She also recalled him as being cute, as, sorry, quote, a cutie pie. However, it didn't seem like all things were great for Alan growing up. A friend of his older brother, Larry, talked about the fact that the home life seemed maybe a little less than happy. He said that. The home was, quote, dark, and that there was anger and hostility in the home. Alan Champagne's father seemed to be the problem. Larry Champagne Sr., there was a lot of tension because of him, and he seemed to be a very angry man. However, that same friend recalled their mother as being a little bit of a sharp temper, but I think that's just a mom thing, you know, and then... She was very active in her kids' lives. She clearly loved them. She was part of their PTO, their sport events, their school events. She was very active. Even the third grade teacher echoed that. But that third grade teacher also said that she doesn't think she ever met Alan's father, which really wasn't uncommon during that time. No, I don't know if my teachers even knew I had a father at <laughs> You know, growing up, they only saw my mom. But when they say he's dark, I mean, are they alluding to abuse or, I mean, is it, what, are they, what are they meaning by dark? They don't really go into detail. The only thing that he talks about in the home was that he, that the friend mentioned in the home was that he didn't have pleasant memories in there and that the home smelled of human urine. But that was really, <laughs> yeah, which is a strange thing. He even quoted saying, I don't know how I know that it was human. I just know that. 
which is an odd. So they couldn't find the bathroom or they didn't clean the bathroom. I'm, I'm kind of confused at that statement, but okay. Yeah, we'll they weren't, forward. they weren't real clear. He just said he, but he, he did say that it seemed that the tension was really between Larry Champagne Sr. and Larry Champagne Jr. And that he didn't really ever notice tension between Alan Champagne and their father, Alan seemed like a really happy kid. He always wanted to tag along with them. Very little brother-like, you know. But it seems like he grew up in a fairly well-adjusted home, fairly normal home, other than maybe the urine thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that was I about. Know, they did have two boys, so. Right. I mean, it could be that. Right. And so, you know, it seems that he had, you know, a sh- fairly strict but loving mom Maybe a less than super present dad, but it seems like a fairly common family dynamic Maybe during I was that time. Say, for me, my dad wasn't present at all, and there wasn't a lot of dads present in the nineties. I don't feel like not like there is now, it, and it was just kind of normal. The moms did did most of the stuff, and the dads just did their own thing or whatever dads did. I'm not even really sure. Well, and this is pre nineties because he was arrested by oh, yeah, nineteen ninety one. So true. you know, he he's this is pre nineties, so I feel like dads were even less involved then. I don't know, I wasn't born, but it just seems like I mean I was, but also these were boys though, and I was a girl with a dad. I, I kind of feel like my dad might have been more present if we had been boys, but then again I'm not sure because I I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you'll have a sister, so you'll never yeah. know. He may have been. So it, but all in all, from everything we've, you know, I could find, it seems like he had a fairly, quote, normal childhood. Nothing, you know, no crazy physical or sexual abuse, no neglect. There was no CPS cases involved. The police weren't there regularly or any, at any point that I could find. So it just seems like a very, you know, and it sounds like he was a really happy, normal kid all growing up. So, what comes in the future seems very odd for the life he had growing up. He was a so middle class, you know, signs of mental health issues or drug abuse or anything that would make him veer off this path. Not obviously in his childhood, he wasn't doing drugs. However, very young age, it seems he started drinking and doing a lot of drugs. Maybe he was masking mental health. Of course, it wasn't as commonly talked about them so it is very possible that that is part of the problem they just wasn't known or recognized at that time or he didn't talk about it especially it sounds like his father maybe wasn't a very open person so he learned you know that's just not how men do things so it is very very possible that it was a mental health issue that was covered with drugs and alcohol and things of that nature yeah, self-medicating. But yeah, it was very taboo at that time. So people weren't being checked for those things or being medicated for things like mental health issues because that was just not the norm at the time. Yeah. So let's fast forward just a little bit and we're going to start talking about his early 20s. At 22, Alan committed his first murder. At the time, he was under the influence of alcohol, LSD and paint fumes. Oh, wow. That's a good combination. Yeah, he had a very crazy cocktail happening. So there's two different rival gangs fighting at a block party, and Champagne stabbed his victim through the heart and the head. He got 14 years for that murder. Of course, after serving his time, 
he gets out. You said he was 22. So doing the math that happened in 1991, is that right? I'm not the best at math. Yes, that is right. 1991 was when Alan killed for the first time. But now we're going to fast forward to June 23rd of 2011. Alan Champagne and three of his friends were drinking and using meth in his Phoenix apartment. Wow. So you learned nothing the first time, I guess. Well, you know, it's two <laughs> instead of three. So we're making progress, I guess. Sure, sure. His girlfriend, Elise Garcia, spent the night that night. Elise was in the bathroom early the next morning when two people came to the apartment. Who showed up? The first was Philman Tapia, the uncle of Alan's child. The other was Philman's girlfriend, Brandy Hoffner, who is the mother of three. Just as Elise was walking out of the bathroom that morning to the living room, she heard a gunshot. When she gets to the living room, she sees that Alan has shot Philman in the face. And he's still holding the gun, and there's blood all over the walls and the couch. Of course, Brandy, seeing her dead boyfriend, starts to cry and keeps repeating how much she loved him. Alan starts to attempt to calm Brandy down and ask her she wants to get high. <laughs> what? I oh. guess that's one way to calm somebody now. Well, she agreed. So <laughs> Alan takes her to the bedroom and gives her a bong and meth. And Elise follows him to the bedroom and claims that Alan walked out of the room, and as he did, he handed her the gun. She said there were no words spoken between the two women, but it was just kind of known that Brandy was not to try to leave the apartment or even the room, really. And I don't think words are needed if someone's standing <laughs> in the doorway with a gun. Seems pretty clear to me. Alan comes back into the room, and he walks behind Brandy as she's smoking. He wraps an electric cord that he shaped like a noose around Brandy's neck. Of course, Brandy's going to struggle and she starts clawing at the cord around her neck. And Alan begins to use a wrench to tighten the cord more and more. Brandy then begins to turn purple until she eventually dies. Oh my gosh, that is a horrible way to die. What does he do with these two bodies he has now in his apartment? So for a week, they're just like chilling in the apartment, decomposing, doing oh the thing. Oh my gosh, that has to smell horrible. Yeah, however, I'm assuming because of that smell, he puts them, he decides to move them. So he puts them in this large wooden plywood box, and then Alan buried it in his mom's backyard. I'm not sure how he got them out of this apartment in this giant box, and nobody had any questions, but that's how it went down. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold up. Did you say what the cause or reasoning or motive? What's going on? I don't I don't get what's happening. So I scoured through everything and I don't know why Alan killed them. I do know that Philman Tapia was his child's uncle, so like his baby mama's what? his baby mama's <laughs> brother, if you will, and Brandy okay. is his baby mama's brother's girlfriend. I know we're getting what? real. Okay, this is some family trees. Real confusing. Right. So it's okay. So like, if you want to do it in less crazy terms, it's like kind of his brother-in-law, but he's not married. Like his ex-brother-in-law, kind of. But I don't know if he's ever married to her. Okay. But he had a child with her. Okay. This is her brother showing up, and it doesn't even say why they showed up. I assume meth, but that's just my own guessing okay i don't know that to be a fact but considering that brandy was you know chill to 
calm down with some meth. That's my assumption, but that's not a fact of the case. However, I do not have any assumptions as to why Alan shot Philman in the face as soon as he walked in his apartment. He was like, hey, how you doing? Pow. And then that blood everywhere. And I'm assuming Brandy was just collateral damage because she was a witness. I think that's the only reason she was killed because Philman seemed pretty like straightforward. So I think he was the main target, but I don't know why. Brandy maybe makes sense of being collateral damage, but yeah, I don't, it seems like he would have some kind of motive, but I, I guess not. And he may have, but we have to remember that when he got convicted for this, he was already serving a 700 year sentence. So the worst they could do was death row, which he did end up getting. And I'm not sure if he could have even gotten out of it with a deal. If you're already serving 700 years, mm-hmm. you get popped for a double homicide. I'm not sure that you can get out of death row. Yeah, so you're not that compelled to give any additional information to help anybody out. Yeah, so you're not giving motive or anything like that. So it's possible that there was a motive and he just doesn't feel like he needs to tell anybody because they don't care. Also, there wasn't a lot of coverage on this, like over in the news, which is sad because it's two people who were dug up in the backyard that seems like it'd be big news. But even locally, there wasn't a ton of coverage on this in the newspapers, on the news. So I'm not sure that they pressed real hard to ask him for motive since he was already serving a 700-year sentence. They're like, yeah, we're going to just, we're just going to kill him, you know, at this point. That's that's all we can do. Well, I mean, I get both points. If it's my family, I want to know what happens. But at the same time. You're wasting taxpayers' money for somebody you've already got in jail. And, I mean, what else are you going to give them at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I mean, that's really the only leverage you have is, like, death row. And he may have been like, yeah, sign me up. I'm stuck here. You might as well. You know, some people are like that. So we don't know. It doesn't say anywhere. We don't know for sure. But as for motive, we're just left in the dark on that one. Yeah, I get that too, but having a father that was murdered, you just want to know what happens. You want closure. You want to know. You just want to know. You want to know the why. Everybody likes to know the why. And it just kind of, I think definitely for their family, heals that wound a little bit, gives them a little closure. And Alan may one day decide to provide the motive, but as of now, we have no idea. But even if you have the reason, I don't know if that even gives you closure. I I think it's just human nature to want to know why, but I mean, is there really a good reason or anything to to end a human life that's going to make you feel better if you know, like, oh, okay, that's that's a good answer. Thanks. I needed that. I don't think you're going to have it um, no matter what. We may have to agree to disagree. I think there are some <laughs> good reasons to take a human life. Well, I mean, there are some, but I don't think in this case they're probably, I, I don't know what was going on, but I don't think. Yeah, unless this dude was doing something to his child. Yeah then he had no good reason. And I think he would have said, hey, I did this because he was hurting my child. But yeah. not not really feeling like Alan Champagne here was father of the year or anything. So. <laughs> no. Um, no, I mean, I, I get there, there are times. But still, I think even in those times, you want to let people know what happened and, you know, that this is why I did it and I feel vindicated for doing this. So, 
I don't know, just actual murder for no reason other than just because you're psycho. I don't think, you know, you're not going to have a good reason. Psycho or that you're high on math. There is that. Or that. Yeah. Maybe I'm like, whoa, who are you? And just, I don't know. Never been on math. I don't know what that's like. Me either. That's what I was just going to say. But I feel like um, Arkansas in general, um, a lot of counties in this area, I think, are inundated with people on meth, but I don't feel like just everybody is killing people that are on meth. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not going around doing surveys of people on meth and homicides, but I still don't feel like <laughs> not Excuse <only>. me. <laughs> excuse me. Are you on meth? I just have a few questions for you. But still, I just, <laughs> I mean, I know that people with drug addictions, you know, they're not thinking straight, but I just don't feel like everybody on meth is going around killing people. We'll let you know on our next survey. <laughs> we'll do the survey and let you know. <laughs> so at some point after Alan killed the two, but before they had been reported missing, Alan and Elise were pulled over by the police. And guess what they found in their car? What? A murder weapon or something like that? Oh, even better. So they found Philman's social security card, Brandy's purse, a bag of lime, and craziest of all, a bag that reeked of rotting flesh. What? Who carries around rotting flesh? Apparently the same people who are, you know, getting high. However, the police did not have all of the pieces yet to this puzzle. Like we said, they weren't even reported missing. So Champagne was only arrested for the misdemeanor warrant he already had. Eight months later, police came knocking again looking for Champagne and Garcia. They were both wanted for felony aggravated assault and were found at Champagne's mother's home. This led to a shootout between Champagne and the SWAT team. Champagne eventually ran out of ammunition, though, and surrendered. Champagne was arrested, and the house went into foreclosure. Champagne was convicted for 24 attempted murder charges for the shootout and sentenced to 700-year sentence. It wouldn't be until October 2011 that the police would even consider Champagne in the double homicide, and it was after they got a tip. The maintenance man at the apartment that Champagne lived at did confirm to police that he had noticed a strong odor from Champagne's apartment. However, after the drywall was torn out, there was no evidence. The maintenance man also told police that he had constructed the large box for champagne. Oh my gosh, he didn't think to ask why he needed a big box. According to the maintenance guy, he did, and champagne claimed he needed to remove some items from his mom's home, which is a super vague answer to me. So just under two years later, during March of 2013, a landscaper for the new owners who bought the home that Champagne's mother had lived in, because we said it went into foreclosure, found the box with the two bodies. We're going to take a quick second to listen to the 911 call from the landscaper. We were working in the yard, and, um, and uh, a worker discovered something. The general contractor talked to him this morning, and we think it might be a person in the seat. So, according to records, the bodies were found still clothed, essentially mummified, and covered in lime for the smell. Champagne was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of kidnapping, and two counts of abandonment or concealment of a body. Champagne went to trial and was found guilty by the jury of the following. One count of first-degree murder for Brandy, one count of second-degree murder for Hoffner, 
one count of kidnapping for Brandy and two counts of abandonment or concealment of bodies for both. So did he get sentenced to death for all of that or one particular charge? Well, during sentencing, they found three major aggravating circumstances. One was his past record with serious offenses, you know, like the fact that he'd murdered people in the past. Two, he killed Brandy in a very cruel manner, which uh, he did. And three, he was being charged with multiple homicide offenses. So for those reasons, he was sentenced to death for Brandy Hoffner's murder. Okay, so did he confess to how he killed them, or how did they know that Brandy was killed in a cruel manner? So Champagne's girlfriend testified against Champagne. So her sentence was much lighter, but she did tell the story. That's how we know how she was killed. And in October of 2016, she was given 16 years, but I couldn't find her exact charges. Of course, with the death penalty, there's always like automatic appeals. And I read through them and they were pretty basic things. And the court shut that down in 2019. If you'd like to read them in depth, you can find the link in our show notes. But I just didn't find anything that was really crazy. I will end the story, though, with a crazy little tidbit. Six years later, on that same street, August 4th of 2017, human remains were found in a little white house two doors down from Alan Champagne's mother's home. Talk about a street you don't want to live on. Oh my gosh, this is like Amityville all over again. Well, I guess there wasn't anything else on Amityville, but still, who wants to live on that street? Well, I actually listened to the interview of a neighbor after the second one was found, and he said that since the people had already been arrested for both of these, he felt safe on that street. (laughs) Okay. And he's like, things just don't happen. I grew up here playing basketball, and I was like, obviously things do happen, sir. And I don't think I'd want to live there, but kudos to you for feeling very safe with your police. You probably got a really good deal in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So that one blew me away. I will, we will have the link to that um, interview if you want to watch it. It kind of just made me laugh a little. I was like, yeah, I don't think I'd be that calm about living on a street of, you know, houses where people keep turning up dead bodies in the backyard and stuff. The housing market is crazy right now. So if you can get a deal, Get it while you can. Yeah, this was 2017, not <laughs> oh, okay. 2022, though. Okay. So, like, uh, I would have moved. I mean, the housing market did crash in 2018. So, I mean, whatever Dilly got, it wasn't anything in 2018. So, I don't know. That's true. That's true. Lynn was a really interesting case. I will say I 100% picked him because his last name was Champagne. Uh, if you're curious on how I pick people, I don't really have a, um, a way. I just It's random. Sometimes it's their name. Sometimes I just read through and see one that's interesting. Though, and I clicked on this one, I did find it kind of interesting. It was a pretty wild case from start to finish, especially, I think the part that threw me the most was that, like, they pulled him over and he had, like, rotting flesh. And they were like, hey, um, whose flesh is this? You were like, why you have it? But if you have one in your state that you want us to do, please let us know because um, we spend a lot of time researching these weird cases and try to find one that seems interesting. Yeah. So if you have one, I am more than happy not to have to read 30 from one state to find (laughs) the one that's like, yeah, this is the one. So like, feel free to send us one. You can send it to our email at murder.mimosas at gmail.com. Or even if it's not a death row case, you want to send us just a regular case. It doesn't have to be part of the last call. You can send that to the same email. 
or you can hit us up on Twitter. That's murder.mimosas. We're also on Instagram at murder.mimosas. We'll have a picture of Alan Champagne on there, Elise Garcia, and their two victims, Philman Tapia and Brandy Hoffner. So you can see them. Um, I'll also probably throw the link on there if you'd like to the video of the funny neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, to liven up your weekend if you want to hear from a neighbor. Check out your neighborhood first before you buy a house. Yeah, definitely do that. <laughs> and we are also on Facebook. So you can find us there. It's Murder and Mimosas podcast group and Patreon. We're on Patreon if you want bonus content, if you want to get access to videos early, anything like that, then feel free to check us out on Patreon. And I think that's it. Rate and review us, but we only, we require five stars. No joke. If you feel like we're not five stars, then you don't have to rate or review us. You can just (laughs) skip over that. Um, Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review us there. We would really, 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 really appreciate it. And I think that's it for this week. You got anything you need to add? I don't think so. All right. That's all. Well, have a mimosa on us. Enjoy your weekend. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.